0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Political Vigilante. My name is Graham Elwood. We have a very special uh, Skype interview. For the for those of you who don't know, if you go to my Patreon.com slash Graham Elwood, the link is in the show notes. At the $25 level, you get to do a Skype interview, and we you can bring up whatever subject you want to bring up. Um, I'm here with uh, Jeff Epstein from Citizens Media TV, and you uh, came to me through a super chat. About wanting to really get into uh, MMT or Modern Monetary Theory, is that what that stands for?
1: Yes, okay. I call it Modern Money, but yes, you're correct.
0: Okay. So this is a, a very unique opportunity, you guys, because I don't know much about MMT. I would say I know almost nothing about it. So um, Jeff is going to educate me, and I'm going to ask a bunch of questions, and hopefully, you, the viewer, if you're if you're as as uh, uninformed as I am. Uh, hopefully this will help you. So first of all, Jeff, why don't we um, uh, why don't we just at least talk about how awesome it was that all these uh, progressive candidates won uh, last night? What
1: a day to be a progressive! I mean, what a day! I mean, for, I'll forget the Supreme Court union crap for sure. a few minutes, but I don't even know what to say about it. It's just so exciting. It's the most. Most important day as a progressive, I think, since I've been alive.
0: I think it's a, like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez winning is so significant for for many many reasons. She was endorsed and basically ran as a democratic socialist. That's that right there is huge. She yeah. went up against one of the most entrenched corporate Democrats out there, who ducked her on. He didn't want to debate her when, and when he when he did, she she ate his lunch, man. She
1: destroyed him. Yeah. And
0: and what what that debate shows, and what this election shows, is you can't fight the progressive platform. You ha- the only tactic they have, and it was hard to do it because she is a Latino woman, right? That's what they did with Bernie. Hillary couldn't attack Bernie's yeah. platform. She had to say he was sexist because he said, wait, your turn, because she was interrupting him. She had to say his p- things were pie in the sky. They were ponies, you know. But when you get when you get someone who is not backing down like her, she's like, I am – I want to shut ice down. And yep. I serve the people where I grew up in the Bronx. Like that's mm-hmm.
1: – She doesn't even speak – and in the, uh, in the debate he said – she said – that he doesn't even speak Spanish, even though that his district is forty percent Spanish speaking, and he doesn't even live in the district. His family lives in Virginia, yep. and he said, I, "You know, I do the best I can as a father," as if that makes it, you know, you what can't that touch mean? that issue. Yeah,
0: you do as best you can as a father, meaning you'd rather re- live in some rich DC suburb than in the Bronx, right? Like,
1: and actually, one thing that I hadn't, nobody has said, and that that I actually find the most amazing of all is that she won, despite the um the you know you have to register as a democrat 9 months before the election i think it's 9 months and she still won so that means that she got a lot of people to register or she changed a lot of minds and either one of those is really remarkable the great that thing is she still won because it, of that
0: it's so great because new york has one of the most corrupt outdated political systems in the country right and When people say, oh, the system's broken, and it it is, it is, it is, but the fact that she won in that broken, corrupt system, it's like, everybody buckle up and get involved because you can do it. Now, she was tenacious, man. She didn't back down. she's
1: she's incredible. And she knows modern money, which makes it even sweeter.
0: Well, nice segue, my friend. First of all, tell Uh, us, what... What got you involved with Citizens Media TV? What is it? And then what brought you to understand and then become an advocate for modern money theory?
1: Sure. Okay. So first of all, I became a fan of you when I saw you on Jimmy Dore live show a while ago and you gave a rant about being foreclosed on twice. That was amazing. That was amazing. Um, and I'm, I'm not, I just want to thank you for, for doing this, just being so open minded, and especially with as many people as you reach that teaching you is really teaching everyone you reach. And that's really, that's amazing. So thank you for being, thank you for allowing me to do this.
0: My pleasure. Um, My pleasure. It was, uh, you got to give some credit to Jimmy door cause I did not want to talk about that foreclosure. It was really emotionally painful. And he said, dude, you need to, it's important. And he would push me to talk about it. And when I did, I would get so many people coming up and telling, some people said, oh yeah, my mom lost her house or we lost our house and that sucks and I'm sorry. And so thanks for, thanks for, for.
1: It's it's righteous anger. And (laughs) that's, that's why I like Jimmy Dore so much. It's righteous anger. Um, Okay, so I, um, before Bernie Sanders, I slept pretty much my life away, you know, roughly speaking and I voted Democrat and then I went back to sleep. Mm Mm-hmm. And I voted Democrat because I was told that the Democrats were the good guys and that the Republicans were the bad guys. That's it. And then I discovered Bernie Sanders in August of 2015. I'd never heard of him before. I left my high-paying job in February 2016, and I worked for him full-time. And the campaign asked me to run with him on the ballot. I ran with him on the ballot in in, uh, my county in New Jersey, and I lost, but I got 12,000 votes. And then I was a delegate for him at the DNC, and at the DNC... It was just a whole bunch of suffering. We weren't there to make a difference. And so I decided that I was going to make something of it. And what I decided to do was to live stream an average of eight hours every single day. And it was a seven day experience, or Sunday through or Saturday through Thursday. So I live streamed an, an average of eight hours a day. And I showed the world what it was like to be a Bernie Sanders delegate and how badly we were treated and how wow. nothing we were. And it was. It was amazing. It was it was an amazing experience, and that's that was the first major thing. Me and, and a handful of other delegates and some other people on the outside across the street, um, we all live streamed, and we reached we reached well over a million people. It was it was a really amazing thing, and I have to thank Adrian Ashley, who who definitely helped make that possible. Um, so that became Citizens Media TV. That was the first big thing for Citizens Media TV. So we're just a big, you know, hard left progressive media organization. And we're on Facebook and Twitter. And I, I did do investigative journalism for a year. Um, but I make a tiny bit of money by live streaming public meetings. But otherwise, we're just, we just share, um, you know, just progressive stuff. But the last thing I wanted to say is that I just dem-entered. I just won my first elected position. I am. I am now I did a a write in campaign. I canvassed a few houses the day before. I got six votes. Nobody else got any votes. And I am now a Democratic county committeeman. Oh, nice. Yeah. For you. I I can't imagine what's going to happen because they know who I am and what I, you know, I'm about. But so that's about me.
0: Nice. All right. So then what when did you first learn about modern money theory and how did how did that get us into the history of what brought you to this?
1: It's actually not that long. Um, I, I tend to I don't I tend to deep dive into things. I really don't like touching on lots of subjects a little bit. I like picking a subject and diving as deep as as I can. And um, I found you know Bernie Sanders. I left and I worked for him full time. Um, I found about modern money. I like to call it modern money because the word theory just gets people on a tizzy. But it's no different than a theory of relativity. Um, so modern money, I, in February, I was talking about with a friend, um, his name is Jeff Ginter. He's, he's a prominent uh, video guy on, on real progressives, which I'm now part of. Um, he's an amazing guy. He lives near me and he, we were talking on the phone about some progressive thing. And then he says, you really got to understand how money works. And I, I never, not that I didn't care about it. It just was never in my consciousness of why do I, what's that? It means nothing to me. And so he spoke to me which, on the by phone. by the way, for, I would
0: say it has got to be by design that we're all just sort of – none of this is taught in schools. We're all just taught this very basic banks have the money and they loan it and then we have a job yeah, and we buy it, things. Like, you're,
1: you're not smart enough to yeah. even discuss this subject. Yeah, and even economists are, are learning on outdated textbooks, which we'll talk about later. Um, so this – so Jeff dragged me, took me by the hand, and we jumped off a cliff, and he deep-dived me into MMT, into modern money. And it just it completely changed me. Just like exactly the same profoundness as what Bernie Sanders taught us, which is money in politics, is the root of all evil, and he really showed us how and why that's, that's true, MMT, modern money, shows us why we can actually get all the things that we all progressives preach about. And it shows us that we're actually really messing up how we preach about it and we're sabotaging ourselves. Um, So in February, I did a deep dive and now my life completely changed. And now a big part of my life is teaching modern money to other people. And uh, so that's why I'm here.
0: Okay. So let's get into it. What is it?
1: All right. So... Talk to state- me like
0: I'm six years old, because I am gonna. I'm not. I was a film major. I did not have an economics degree or anything like that. So,
1: you, yeah, and that's the trick. You are completely capable of handling this. Okay. The only, the hard, the hardest part, the mind benders, is that we have to discard all of the misinformation that we have been taught our whole lives okay. and then relearn the basics of modern money. So it is a mind bender. It's a serious mind bender, which is why this is going to take a little while. Okay, But it is a mind bender because we have been miseducated our entire lives, not because it's a difficult concept. Ah, um, got it. okay. It's so conflicting. It's so conflicting. Okay. So we've all so, been
0: told the world is flat and then some guy gets on a boat and is telling us the world is round and we're all going to fight. People have a hard time understanding it.
1: Right. So you have to discard what you know that's wrong and before you can start understanding what, you know, is right. Okay. So there's two stages of learning. One is getting through those mind benders. Then two is once you're through those mind benders, then you can, you know, learn all the deeper stuff. And that takes a lot of time, but it's not mind benders, you know what I mean? Like it takes time and patience, but once you get through that initial wall, then you're good. Okay. And I can teach stage one. I can't teach stage two. I don't have a deep enough knowledge. I'm not pretending that I'm an economist or anything. I've only known this for a few months, February, whatever, four or five months now. Um, But I'm really good at teaching stage one of getting it through the initial mind benders. So um, I don't have a deep enough knowledge and I can't handle debate. I can't handle skepticism. You know, someone throws, well, what about the Federal Reserve raising interest? I I don't understand. I don't know. You know, so I want to ask you and your viewers, Please, while we're talking, I want you – I really hope that you can have an open mind. I know you will. And I want, I want you to ask questions. I want you to interrupt me. I want this to be tailored to you know your state of mind. But when we're done, you should be absolutely as skeptical as you need to be. You should do your homework, and you should decide the truth for yourself. So that's like sort of the ground rules. I can't handle someone who's confident in the wrong thing and be able to refute that. Sure. So, okay. So you're going to quickly learn what I have to teach you, and there are plenty of people, particularly lots all over Real Progressives, Jeff Ginter, and all, many people in Real Progressives, and other many other places, and the NMT economists that they are in touch with would all be ha- happy to talk with you, especially as someone that reaches so many. So,
0: who, who is the MMT uh, economist? Is it?
1: Oh, there's plenty. I mean, I Bernie Sanders, Bernie Sanders. Stephanie Kelton was Bernie Sanders' economic advisor for his campaign. She was uh, an advisor. She's, she's probably the first one you should. Okay. G- uh, Stephanie Kelton. And actually, I'll tell you, the first video you should probably watch is called Angry Birds and Deficits by Stephanie Kelton. It's just an hour-long talk sort of on the concepts that we're about to talk about. Okay. But, you know, she's more elegant and all that. Um, but there's plenty. There's tons. I can give you some notes if you want to put them in the, you know, okay. the show notes. Okay. Okay, so I want to start off with two scenarios, okay? Two scenarios. And trust me, this is all gonna come together. But we're gonna start with two scenarios. First, I want you to pretend that you're the father of twins and it's almost their birthday, all right? You go to them, you ask them, what do you want for your birthday? One of them tells you that they want a big screen TV. The other one tells you that they want a video game system. Neither of it's a surprise, they've been wanting this for years, they're passionate about it, they, you know it's going to make them happy. They're, you know. So you go to the store, you look around, you do some comparisons, and you find out, unfortunately, you can only afford just one. So you go to your kids, and you say, I'm really sorry, but our family budget, the amount of money that we have, I will not allow me to buy both of you a present. So I can only afford to buy one of you a present. You have to share it. You know, I'm not trying to be mean, but I can only afford to buy one of you. So this is what we're going to do. You have to convince me which one I should buy a present for. You have to do analysis and research. You have to give me the pros and cons. You have to tell me why you're so passionate. You have to uh, tell me why, given our family budget, given how much money we have, convince me that you are the one that should get the money and not your brother. And so they spend a lot of time doing this. They spend a lot of time on this research. They consult with people. You know, they do their own research in libraries, whatever it is, and with the family budget. They spend a lot of time, and they hand in a paper to their father of all this analysis. And the paper, you know, the, the father reads the papers and decides, for whatever reason, that the one about the big screen TV is better. And so he says, I'm buying a big screen TV. This is great. Good job. You did a good job, too, but it just, you know, this was better. This is what I'm deciding. So he buys his big screen TV. You have to share it, but I'm buying it for you. I'm sorry I can't buy it for you. We just can't afford it. And now, you know, it's upsetting. It's upsetting because you know how passionate he is. You know how much he wants it. You know how hard he's been, you know, yearning for it. Mm -hmm. So it's upsetting. Okay, so done. Scenario number two. Same exact thing. But this time, you are a father of twins and you are a multi multi-millionaire. Okay, Same exact thing. You have two twins, it's almost their birthday, you ask them and you say, what do you want for your birthday? One of them tells you a big screen TV, one of them tells you a video game system. You know that this is what they wanted for you know forever, so it's no surprise. You go to the store, you look around, you do some comparisons and you realize you can only afford just one. With the money that you have and the budget that you have, you can only afford just one. So you go to your kids and you tell them, I'm really sorry, but I can only afford just one. We only have so much money. We have our budget and so on. And he tells his children, you have to convince me of which one of you deserves this present. And so they spend all this time doing their research, all the same stuff, all of this effort, all this time. And obviously it's competitive. There's going to be some resentment. There's going to be maybe even some backstabbing, right? And they give you the research paper. The father reads the research papers, and he decides the big screen TV is way better. It, not way better. You know, it's better. He chooses that one. So he buys the big screen TV, and he says, you did a great job. You have to share it. You know, I'm not unreasonable, but unfortunately, I can only afford this. Unfortunately, you did a good job, but I can't afford the video game system this year. And it's it's upsetting because you know how much they wanted the video game system. You know, you know, on and on and on. And that's completely insane, right? You are a multi-multi-millionaire. You can afford to buy both of your children presents. You can afford to buy anything and everything that you want. But even more than that, why would you even bring up the the topic of money? Why would you even bring up the topic of affordability? And even more than that, why would you make your children spin their wheels and take all of this time – to do all of this research for something that doesn't even matter, okay? And even more than that, why would you pit your children together when there's no reason to do so, okay? So that's just a teaser. Now we're going to go on. Bring that up to the United States. So so that was the end of that scenario, the two scenarios. now I want to bring this to the United States and I think I, I said this in some social media stuff to you mm-hmm. that it's travesty that the United States chooses endless war, excessive military and tax breaks for millionaires. It's a travesty. It's obscene. It is a travesty that the United States chooses to not give us Medicare for all and free college and living wage and to fix our poisoned water. It's terrible.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the Even bigger travesty is that the American people have been tricked into thinking that we only have enough money for one or the other, that we have to choose, and that we spend most of our time analyzing and justifying and researching why we should be able to afford this when the United States can easily afford to give us All of it. They can keep their endless war. They can keep, I mean, temporarily, this is not a good thing, but it shouldn't be a prerequisite to end endless war and to reduce the military because it's ridiculous and to reduce taxes on, um, to raise taxes on the wealthy to get rid of immoral uh, income inequality. That should not be a prerequisite to getting what we want. Okay. So, I'm glad you brought up a pony before. So next, next section here is, uh, I mean, I'll stop there Do you, if you want to say anything, but that's, no, I mean, this I, is obviously a teaser. Sure. This it's a teaser for what we're about to go into. But if you want to say something before I go on.
0: Yeah, I guess I, I, I mean, some of my questions, I just, um, I feel like I, uh, there's going to be some sort of bigger reveal because right now I'm still in the, um, so, so the United States government is like the millionaire in the scenario who has the money for all of this stuff. Uh, my only concern, I mean, the the question that you asked why would he why would the dad pit the two sons against each other? Well, that's obvious. They want to keep us divided. I mean, I talk about that a lot on the show. They want to keep us well distracted, but it's, and divided.
1: It, those two sides, those two sides are are not exactly what you think. Those two sides are the powerful. And the powerless. It's not, you know, black and white people separating them with racism or anything right. like that. It's the powerful. But gone.
0: Sure, it is a class. It is a class war. It's it's, it's the one percenters versus everybody else. The tactics yeah. that the one percenters use to keep the ninety nine percent divided is race and red state, blue state, and whatever else they can find. Which is why that that's what I heard at least with the. Well, I need to keep my two sons fighting with each other so they don't realize that dad could take care of everything that they want. So. I'm going to get them to waste all this time on these two bullshit proposals over with, which is better. Right. <laughs> so that right. all, that all makes so, sense to me. Yeah.
1: So the money thing is, uh, was if there's a bigger picture okay. and money, so we'll get into that. Okay. So hopefully by the end of the discussion, you're going to understand really why all of this is true. Um, so the pony act of 2008, the, the pony for all act of 2018. <laughs> So the Pony for All Act for 2018, so I want to take a ridiculous scenario and take it very seriously just for a few minutes. So Hillary Clinton in her book, Bernie Sanders, oh, you want to give everybody a pony? That's so nice. Everybody would love a pony, but how are you going to pay for it? And I want to say that actually, not exaggerating, not silly, it is tr- it is truly possible for all, for every American to get a literal, actual biological pony. It is possible, Okay. It's ridiculous that we want to do that, but it is genuinely possible that we could do that. So um, I have the hypothetical. I have great news that the, our government is suddenly not corrupt. They have all the money and that you know the money is no object. And Trump has committed that he's going to sign the Pony for All Act of 2018 tomorrow. OK, so he does. And that's great. Great surprise. Um, and it allocates the, this act, this law. Allocates ten billion dollars, and it requires by next week on Thursday that everyone in the country gets access to a free pony. Okay, so ten billion dollars. The law is signed in the the bill is signed into law. Ten billion dollars floods into the economy for the purpose of enacting this law that everyone in the country gets a pony for free, mm-hmm. and it's got to happen by next Thursday. Uh, next week, Thursday, and my question to you, and, and with all my questions, I'm totally willing to to rescue you, but I just want to throw it out there: What happens? Ten billion dollars floods of the economy to enact the Pony for All Act of 2018. Next week on Thursday, every single American gets access to a free pony. What happens?
0: Well, I guess all of the ancillary pony businesses would uh see an uptick right the feeding That's the grooming true. the the uh, veterinarians veterinarians the blacksmiths the pony the
1: no oh,
0: yeah saddles whatever all that stuff uh you're gonna need a gate for your pony now everybody gets to has to go buy a gate for their pony and they need to buy a feeding thing and they need to
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh clean up all of the pony shit and so now there's all of that business right Yep. right <laughs> Yep. And then, um, how is everybody going to f- continue to feed this pony now that they have one? Mm-hmm. Because the feeding and the veterinary bills over the life of a pony—actually, now that might—you might be like, "Wow, I didn't want this pony because now I have to pay all these things for it."
1: You're not required to have one. You're just legally—you have the, you know, the access to the
0: one. Access to one. Okay.
1: Yeah. So, and and actually, if everyone in the whole country has a pony, then what happens when it dies? That clearly has to be a big issue. Right. So you know, so I mean, you're you're on your way. But I'm asking you, can everyone by next week on Thursday have a pony?
0: I would say no. There's not enough ponies out there. Ding.
1: Ah. So there, let's say roughly. I I have no idea, but let's say there's a half a million ponies in the country. There are 320 million, I think, around 320 million people in the country. There is no way that in one week that we can get everybody a pony. But $10 $10 billion has flooded the economy to make this possible. And there are 500,000 ponies and 320 million people that want them. So what's going to happen? And again, I'll rescue you if you want me to just say.
0: Yeah, yeah, there would be fights, there would be battles, there would be political things, there would be all that shit.
1: And the prices of each pony goes way up would skyrocket right that is hyperinflation that's inflation okay so as you just said there's not enough real resources ponies fences veterinarians uh, you know food uh stores that sell this stuff and all this disposing of dead ponies we got to come up with something for that there's not enough real resources to handle this right okay But again, I told you in the beginning that although it's completely ridiculous to want this, that it is genuinely possible to happen, to make this happen. So what is required to actually make this happen? So I'll throw it out to you and then I can take it if you want.
0: Yeah, I guess you would have to put in place a however timeline plan to get 320 million ponies. To get the veterinary infrastructure, to get the food infrastructure, to get – Distribution. All, distribution. Distribu- right. right. Get the trucks. To, where's the pony meal food going to come from? Where's it grown? Where's it processed? How's it distributed? All that stuff. So we'd then go – Educating all, people
1: to be able to You know, – we're going to need a lot more uh, breeders and veterinarians and so on.
0: Yeah. So then, we, yeah, we need all those people. We need a million more blacksmiths. We need uh, all this stuff. So then we need right. to put a five-year plan in place, let's say, to get the pony infrastructure in place so that every three hundred and twenty million ponies can happen. Exactly.
1: So you said everything when I first asked you what's gonna happen until next week, and you said all of these things, the life cycle, you know, birth to death. Mommies and a lot mommies and daddies are gonna to have to do their thing over and over and over and over again. So I I would have said ten years, but five years is perfectly reasonable that some serious amount of time is going to be necessary to make all this happen. And the core of it is the mommy and daddy ponies need to do their thing. And that's going to take, you know, gestation for whatever Mm -hmm. to reach 320 million. So you are exactly right. So the entire life cycle needs to be considered and given, I'll say 10 years, given 10 years flooding $10 billion into the economy is reasonable, okay? It's reasonable. It's not reasonable in one week. It's reasonable in five or 10 years. Mm Okay, because all the real resources, our productive capacity can handle it. Right. Our productive capacity can handle it. Our real resources can ha- handle physical it. Physical
0: production the... of things. These There's physical things that need to be made. Food, medical supplies, veterinary supplies, all this. are physical things that need to be produced and distributed and sold and all that stuff.
1: Right. Physical things and labor. Yeah. And... The most important, not the most important one, the most unusual one is time. A real resource is time. So that, that's what's most important. The money doesn't matter. If you flood more money into the economy than our productive capacity can handle, that's bad. That causes inflation. If you pro- pour money into our economy with consideration of our real resources, in consideration of our productive capacity. No problem at all. Everyone in the country can get an actual pony. Okay? So uh, that's it. That's it for the pony thing. So you get it. Real resources is where what's important. Money's not important. Um, so, okay, let's switch subjects. I'll, I'll stop there and see if you have any comments before I switch, if you want.
0: I guess at this point everything is sort of – I mean, that, that simplistic uh, hypothetical makes sense to me. Very – The the two children, the the rich dad and the middle class dad with the twins, that makes sense to me. And this everybody, 320 million ponies, how do we actually do that? Even though we have plenty of money, how do we actually do that? All of that makes sense to me.
1: Okay. Good. (laughs) All right. Good. All right. So next subject, and this is all going to come together. I promise. You have a dollar bill in your pocket, actual dollar bill. Where did that dollar bill come from? And I'm, I'm asking you to, to answer.
0: Let's say I, came, I don't know, it came from change when I bought something at the store using a five.
1: Okay. And where did that come from? Where did that, you, you got it from somewhere.
0: Sure, that five, um, I, one of the uh, Make Gotham Great Shirts that I sold after one of my shows on the road with Blanc in this past week, the last night. I took one of the $20 bills from this Make Gotham Great Again shirt that somebody bought at the show in Atlanta, and they gave me that, and that's... All right,
1: so merchandise. You yeah. also have your patrons. Yep. Um, so merchandise and patrons is yep. probably Ad a revenue. significant amount. Of
0: it. Yep. Okay. And money so that's the where the shows that, and all that stuff.
1: Okay. Okay. So you, that's where you got your dollar from, but that's not where the dollar truly came from. Where did they get the dollar from? Where did your patrons get the dollar from? Where did the person who bought your shirt get the dollar from?
0: Right. They got it from wherever they work, whatever jobs they have. And that's okay. They and, have
1: and I'm asking you to keep going sure. and keep going until we reach the final thing. Where did that dollar from come from?
0: Right. So they work from a company that sells a bigger thing, and they got money for that. And then, yeah, I guess this is where your brain starts to get caught in a loop. <laughs> well, I mean, do you have a guess? I can, I can say. I mean, I guess if you – to get to – it came from the – you know the Federal Reserve, or it was printed. Where? It...
1: Thank you. All right. So is that is that the final answer? Yeah. I, I, okay. Federal Reserve. You're right. It comes from the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve makes the money, but who instructs the Federal Reserve to make that
0: money? The Illuminati. No. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: your skepticism. After we're <laughs> done.
0: <laughs> um, the well. The the, the thing about the Federal Reserve, what I know about it, it seems like it's sort of its own thing, sort of a rogue uh, institution. Okay, well, that's
1: the the skepticism, but that's not what I'm teaching you. That's not as I understand it, so So I'm asking you.
0: All right, so then, so just from a non-conspiratorial standpoint, the United States government instructs the Federal Reserve.
1: That's right. So the Federal Reserve is instructed by the Treasury the treasury is instructed by a new law and the law was created by our congress right the legislative branch it comes from the congress the congress is a, the constitution article 1 section 8 gives the congress the monopoly power of creating the currency so they write a law they put a number in it 10 billion dollars for ponies that law is passed in uh, that bill is passed into law Then that instructs the Treasury, instructs the Federal Reserve, goes to the state reserves, goes to the actual banks, goes to the companies that are required to make that law possible. Okay? I know that's high speed, but that is what it is. Ultimately, it's the Congress. Okay. Okay? So the Congress makes the dollar. And so they're the monopoly currency issuer. They're the only ones in the world that can make the currency. Not me, not you, not companies, not. states, not municipalities, not other countries, not China, not Russia. Everybody else except for the United States Congress is a currency user of the United States dollar, everyone. So everyone except for the Congress is in exactly the same position. China is no different than me or you, aside from just the amount, okay? So currency user, currency issuer, monopoly currency issuer. and Creating the dollar is a child's game. It is no different than drawing a $1 bill on a piece of construction paper. It is no different than drawing a trillion dollar bill on a piece of construction paper. A child can do it whenever they want, how much they want, however much they want, and for whatever they want. And so can the Congress. They should do it responsibly, as we discussed in the pony thing. It is foolish to create infinite money, but they can. They can create infinite money. So it is a game, it's a social construct, and it's a choice. Money is a game, money is a social construct. It is not backed by gold. It used to be backed by gold, but in August of 1971, it stopped being backed by gold. Thanks to Nixon. Thanks to Nixon. A lot of the textbooks for economists were written before that. So a lot of the economists are still learning what is no longer true. They're still learning on the gold standard, some of them. So as much as they can create the dollar as much as they want, whenever they want, for whatever they want. So the monopoly currency issuer. Okay, so if they can create as much, whenever, for whatever, the United States dollar, do they need any income? If you can draw a trillion dollar bill on a piece of construction paper and that is legal tender – and you're the only one that's allowed to do so. Would you need the grand dollar as income to be able to buy something? No. Okay. So the federal government as a monopoly currency issuer does not need any income. You said no, just confirming, correct? Yes, correct. Okay. So it makes no sense
0: that there's for taxes. The
1: federal you're jumping ahead here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm
0: sorry.
1: <laughs> All right. So it makes no sense for someone that can create the dollar as much as they want whenever they want for whatever they want to have any income. So why then do they collect taxes? And why do they borrow? So that's my next question to you.
0: Man, that is a that is. Uh, this is. Yeah, I see where we're getting into the mind bendingness of this. Um, yeah, I know.
1: But again, I want to. Again, I really want to emphasize. This is only mind bending because of how badly we have been sure. miseducated our entire lives. Right. We started off this way in elementary school. This would be a no-brainer.
0: Yeah. We'd all go, there's no reason for taxes, which is uh, – this, this wasn't an oversight that we're all uh, – that this was missed by our textbooks because they don't want everybody rising up going, wait a minute. You don't right. need to take a dollar from my paycheck.
1: Well, it, actually, it, it, taxes are extremely important, which we'll get into in okay. a minute.
0: Okay. But, so then the – then I don't have – I can't find an answer to your questions.
1: Okay. So – China again China is just like anybody else they're they're just like individuals and companies and municipalities and states they they have a lot of money they have whatever 5 trillion dollars but the United States can draw 5 trillion dollars on a piece of paper tomorrow if they wanted to so this do they need to borrow money from China when they are the only ones that can create the money and they can create as much as they want as so on Do they need to borrow money from China? Do they need to borrow money from Russia? Obviously, the answer is no. The answer is no. And it's like it's just as silly as saying the the Philadelphia Phillies. uh, I was listening to a game years ago, and there was like 21 to two or something. And so the Philadelphia Phillies call up the Pittsburgh Pirate and say, "Listen, we need to borrow some points. We're we got to put some points. You know, it's a really high-scoring game. It's stupid. It makes no sense." Those points are a game, or a social construct, or a decision. It's not there's not a bucket of points in the Philadelphia Phillies back office. So it's just it's it's very similar to the Congress creates its own money. So clearly we don't need to get money from anybody else, whether it's a country or a person or a company or a state. Okay, so the next
0: yeah. So why do we have a national deficit? Why are we collecting all this stuff? This is really
1: Right, right. So I I can't really address the borrowing in depth. I can't really address the debt in depth. But what I can address is, so since we don't need any income, the federal government, and we're only talking about the federal government, since the federal government can make its own money, doesn't need any income, then why does it collect taxes? And I think you've made it clear that you're not sure at the moment. And there's... They're very important.
0: My supposition would just be, you know, my is what I always go to with this government is some form of control and keeping people down and keeping people in line. Would be- that's
1: not that's not so far off. I, you, the ideal is is keeping people down is not necessarily true. It, they could use it for that reason, but it but the uh, you know the pure reason is not to keep people down, but it absolutely control is a big part of it. So. This is the phrase that I want you and your and your viewers to remember. If you remember nothing else from this whole talk, this is what I want you to remember. And that is this phrase, federal taxes do not fund federal spending. Federal spending funds federal taxes.
0: Okay, federal taxes don't...
1: Federal taxes do not fund federal spending federal spending funds federal taxes if you remember nothing else in this whole conversation that's what I wish that you would remember that one phrase
0: fed spending funds federal taxes
1: yes so just like we said when the federal government spends that is exactly the same as the federal government creates the dollar they choose Mm -hmm. to spend 10 billion dollars for the pony bill And that by definition means that they create $10 million. So you would think, oh, I need income before I can spend. And that's true for everyone in the country except the federal government. They have to spend before they can tax. So we'll get into that. So taxes are very important. But not because, you know, actually, I'll stop. You, you, if you want to say something, I'll ask a question. So now we're getting into heavy duty
0: now stuff. Now we're getting into the heavy duty stuff. So I I want let's, to let's end part one on this. Federal taxes do not fund federal spending. Federal spending funds federal taxes. So, everybody watching at home, watch the second part of this video where we're going to go into the details of that. This first part, we went into the very simple explanations with the twins and The rich dad and the regular dad, and the ponies, and the mind-bending thing that if Congress is the (laughs) one writing the creating currency, they don't need any money. So now all of these questions are flourishing, flying (laughs) out of my head, which I'm sure the viewers are like, "Well, what? All these blobs of knowledge with no connections between any of them. Whoa! Why are they taxing (laughs) us? Why is there a deficit? Why is there?" All of this stuff, <laughs> and we're going to get to all of that, you guys, with Jeff from Citizens Media TV in uh part two. So please watch that. Hello, everybody, welcome to the Political Vigilante on the modern money uh theory tutorial that I am going through uh with uh, uh Jeff Epstein from Citizens Media TV. We, um, if you watched uh, part one of this, please watch part one before you watch part two is, um, so Jeff, it's some people who have, it's been a while since they watched part one, let's say, just give us a quick recap on what we covered in part one of this video.
1: Well, if you actually, if you wouldn't mind, if you sure. give it okay. from your point I'll, of view and then I'll fill in the blanks.
0: Okay. That's great. So what Jeff explained to me, we did, uh, a, a couple hypotheticals of, Um, The the, the big one, though, the the big takeaway is, let's say there was the Pony Act of 2018 where everybody wanted a – the the federal government said we're going to spend $10 billion to give every American 320 million plus people their own pony. And we started to realize that we have the money to do that, but there's all these other resources we would need, blacksmiths, veterinarians, uh, food, all this stuff. And so we – Fencing. Fencing. All of these physical products that would need to be created and distributed. There's not enough ponies. There's only 500,000 ponies in America. These are hypothetical numbers, obviously. and But there are 320 million people. That's a pretty real number. Um, so it would take 5 to 10 years to, to breed 320 million ponies to put the infrastructure in place and all of that. And then... You also- and let me, add,
1: let me add to that, if I may, training people because yes. we're going to need a lot more labor. And in, and most, not importantly, but most unusual is time. Time. That we can't do it in a week, which would cause inflation, but we can do it in five to ten years.
0: Five to ten years. And yeah, I mean, we're going to need more truck drivers to drive the feed around and the medical supplies and all this stuff and the fencing. Like there's just going to be a whole a, a, a millions of jobs and a big infrastructure logistical undertaking to get this done in five to ten years. So it's not about the money, it's about the physical resources and the time. Um, And then you pointed out that you asked me where money came from, and we got to the conclusion that it came from the Federal Reserve, which which is controlled by the United States Treasury, which is controlled by Congress. So basically Congress creates its currency, so then you propose this big, this big, uh, uh, this big explosion of a question. So if Congress can write its own currency, why would it need any revenue? Why would it need tax revenue? Why would it need to borrow money? Why would it need any of those things? And then we needed to take a break so that I could put ice on my skull (laughs) to uh, figure out (laughs) why this happened. So now that's sort of catching everybody up. So let's now get into the the answers to those uh, massive questions.
1: Okay. So again, thank you so much for having me. You reach so many people. And uh, this is important not to just teach you, but to teach everyone that you watch. So thank you.
0: Well, I appreciate Um, you being on the show because the purpose of this show, for anyone who's who's finding this show for the first time, what political vigilante is, is I want to educate people. I want people to wake up to the world that we're living in. We've all been fed a lot of propaganda Kool-Aid from there's the two parties are so different from one another to the media is all, you know, it's nonsense. It's all the same. In my opinion, there's one party, they're all for banking and war and all that other stuff. And anyway, that's what the point of this channel is, is to get people to open their minds up. And I like to be open up to it, which is when you approach me about, Hey Graham, I would love to come on your show and teach you MMT. I'm like, let's do it because I like, talking about subjects that the corporate media won't talk about, which there's no way in hell they're gonna talk about this. And um, I want this show to educate and and inform and hopefully it's a little bit entertaining uh, to watch. It's not boring, so.
1: Okay, all right, so let me just add a couple things before we go on, which is, I mean, you gotta watch part one, there's just yeah, yeah, no way you one. can. But um, productive capacity, real resources, you said, You can't put money – You can the Congress can create as much money as it wants whenever it wants for whatever it wants, and it's the only one that can do it. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be responsible about it. We talked about the ponies. You can't do it in a week. That would cause insane inflation. You can do it in five to ten years because that considers the real resources, that considers the productive capacity. So I just want to remind people of two definitions, and then we'll go on, which is – and actually the phrase I'll say – The United States government, the federal government, the Congress specifically, is the monopoly currency issuer. Everybody else, people, states, companies, municipalities, cities, other countries, China, Russia, all of them are currency users. They're not allowed to create it. Um, and And, And
0: real quick, every country is the creator of its currency. Like the Chinese currency, the Chinese government are the only ones allowed to create it.
1: Uh, Well, it depends on the currency. I don't know about China specifically, but fiat currencies. We are a fiat currency. The EU is not the country. Well, the EU is, but not the countries in the EU. The EU countries are all hooked into the whatever it's called, the euro.
0: Explain what a fiat currency
1: is. We actually had, that's exactly what we've been talking about. They get to create the money as much as they want, whenever they want, for whatever they want. And they're the only ones that are allowed to do it. And it is not backed by anything physical. It's not backed by gold, and that is what changed. It used to be backed by gold before August of 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 1971. It is no longer backed by gold since Nixon changed that in August of 1971. So a fiat currency can create its own money and all that stuff, and it's not backed by anything. Canada, Australia, Japan, England, I think New Zealand, I don't know about China, they're all fiat currencies. The euro is a fiat currency, but all the countries that use it, they're users. They're just like our states. They use the euro. They can't create it. That's why Greece is in such a hard spot.
0: And so when it was backed by gold, so it was basically we have what well, – I'll just pick a random number. We have a trillion dollars in gold, so therefore we have a trillion dollars in paper currency.
1: Right, and if you create more, if you create double, then each dollar is worth half as much. Right. But that's not true in a fiat currency. A fiat currency money doesn't matter. It's whatever I write on the bill. Only real resources and our productive capacity and time matters. That's the only thing that matters. Okay. So, Okay. So, the phrase that I wanted people to remember, federal taxes. If you don't remember anything else, please just remember this phrase. Federal taxes do not fund federal spending. Federal spending, fund federal taxes. Okay. So federal taxes are very important, but not because we need their money. They're really important. So why does the government collect taxes? And number one we've already spoken about, control inflation. So if there's $10 billion in the the, economy for ponies, in the 2018 Pony for All Act, then clearly uh, three days later they'll realize, "Uh uh-oh, we can't get this done in a week. This is gonna cause hyperinflation. So they tax money back to control that inflation. So they reduce the demand. So that's an extreme situation, but if, uh, you know, if, uh, if there's like a disease in farms and now all of a sudden we can't produce as much corn, but people want as much corn as they did yesterday, then that might be too much demand for our productive capacity to handle. So one way of handling that is to tax that money.
0: Oh so then if you if we put a giant tax on the ponies now there's a bunch of people that go well I don't want I don't want one now I know I can have one but it's too much so I don't want one
1: exactly or you could act that's one way of doing it and you could also tax the people so they simply have less money to do anything with so I want a great example a really great example for, for emphasizing this is war bonds World War two so in World War two they offered war bonds help fund the troops help fund the war effort and we now know that it didn't fund anything because the federal government doesn't need any money but what it did was all of the all of the resources of car companies went instead of making new cars went into tanks and ships and planes and artillery instead i'm pretty sure this is if not exactly true it is extremely close to true that not a single car was produced during world war ii but the money in people's pockets didn't change. So the demand, roughly speaking, though now the war changed stuff, but roughly speaking, the demand for new cars didn't change. They had the same amount of money in their bank accounts and their investments in their pockets mm-hmm. to buy new cars, but now the, the supply of new cars cratered because all of those resources were going to the war effort. So they gave, they offered the American people war bonds. And they said, fund the effort, fund the troops, buy a war bonds, give us a thousand bucks or whatever you want, but let's say thousand uh, bucks. Then we'll hold it for ten years, use it for the war effort. No, they won't. And we'll give you a fi- we'll give you your money back in ten years, and we'll give you a five percent bonus. And what that did, the, the federal government didn't use that money at all. They just wrote down Graham Elwood thousand uh, bucks matures in 2023, five percent interest. They just wrote it down. But they don't use that money for anything. What it did is it removed that money from the economy to reduce demand. Okay. Have, <laughs> <laughs> so if you have a question,
0: um, I don't have a question really. That, I,
1: I assume that makes sense. It I mean, makes
0: total sense to me, and it sort of opens up as to why. You know, the more I do this channel, the more I learn, and and actually, the more the answers actually become very simple which is just it's about money and power and control like every dis, everything that's done is a, is to do that and so it's like when you seem to take the demand out so you know the demand for cars out of there and put it yeah i it it's mind-boggling in the one sense and then makes perfect because that's what this.
1: it's mind-boggling i i think it's mind-boggling because you've been taught opposite yes. world
0: yeah right for my whole life i've been taught right um, they, what the what it boils down to
1: is that they pretend that the federal government is exactly like you in your household that's what they right. do that's how they trick you and it's completely has nothing to do with it but they trick you and they pretend that it is exactly the same obama saying oh we can't afford it We're, we have to bring out our credit cards credit cards what does that mean we have to borrow from china all of this stuff is pretending that the federal government is exactly like you because you've never been taught what the federal government is like, so you assume that it's just like you. Right. Okay, so control inflation and taxes are very similar to war bonds in the sense that it takes money out of the economy, except taxes are coercive, they're not voluntary, taxes aren't just 10 years, they're infinite years, and taxes do not obviously don't provide a bonus. But otherwise, they're pretty much the same thing. They remove money from the economy. Government doesn't use it in any way, aside from maybe notating how much it was. But they don't use it in any way. Okay, so that's number one. It's controlling inflation. And feel free to interrupt me, you know, if you have any questions. So that's number one. There's two more reasons. Number two is to impose moral decisions. So we as a society decide, and, you know, pretending that the government's not corrupt. We as a society decide that we want to not stop people but we want to discourage people from drinking too much alcohol. We want to discourage people from gambling too much, cigarettes too much. We want to discourage people from activities that cause pollution. So we want to tax those activities. We want to tax gambling some but not completely stop it. We want to tax pollution activities, activities that cause pollution a lot because you know we're all going to die, climate change. So, it, it discourages behavior to tax someone We've, for vices, for behaviors that cause problems for society. So we can raise taxes to discourage those behaviors and we decide how much we want to raise them. Do we really want to stop it or do we want to just you know slow it down? And income inequality. We can raise taxes on the rich to lower income inequality. So I'll go back to that one in a minute. We can also encourage behavior by lowering taxes. So if people want to buy solar uh, panels for their house, sure. we could we could give you a, you know, lower your taxes. If you want to buy an electric car, I'm sure there's a million other examples I just can't think of at the moment,
0: yeah, I to bought encourage an electric behaviors. Car, yeah, yeah, so the, I, one of the things I got by buying an electric car was I got a tax break. I can write mm-hmm. off some of my money that I brought in by because I bought an electric car.
1: Okay. So encourage behaviors by lowering taxes. And again, you decide how much you wanna lower behaviors. You wanna really make it cheap, you wanna just make it a little cheaper and so on. So income inequality, we wanna discourage income inequality at the immoral levels that we currently have, okay? So we wanna tax the rich, because it's fine if you wanna be rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. You can be 300 times more rich than everybody else you know, whatever we as a society decide is moral. But at some point, they're getting rich by extracting out of other people's well-being. Okay? Right. And we are, we are currently at the state where it is so immoral that they get to buy the politicians with their pocket change. Right. And then they create the laws and create a cycle where that becomes easier. So we want to tax the rich – Because we decide as a society that this level of income inequality is immoral and unjust and wrong, not because we need their money.
0: Hmm. And
1: that, for me, was a light bulb that we do want to tax the wealthy. We do want to tax the wealthy. Say we say, you know, you can have a. A billion dollars. You can have a hundred million dollars. Whatever we as a society decide. But after that, that portion of it—not all of it—but that portion of it above that immoral boundary that we decide—that's going to be taxed like ninety percent. You know, and they can cry, "Oh, ninety percent—that's so obnoxious." No, we're only taxing the obscene part. Right. Ninety percent. Whatever we as a society decide that is. So that is how we can control. Immoral levels of inequality stop them from buying the government stop them from extracting wealth from others and so on But we don't tax the rich Because we need their money, you know, everybody talks even Bernie talks about we need to tax the rich Let's use it for infrastructure and all this stuff tax uh, uh, Wall Street speculation raise the cap on Social Security Yes, we should raise the cap on so we should eliminate the cap on Social Security fight attacks mm-hmm. Um which pays into Social Security, helps pay for Social Security, which is nonsense, which is nonsense. But FICA pays into Social Security. So we feel invested and years later say, I've been paying my whole life. I don't take my Social Security away. It's complete nonsense. But setting that aside, um, Bernie Sanders says we should eliminate the cap on Social Security, and we absolutely should, but not because we need the money, because Social Security isn't paid for by taxes. It's not paid for by FICA taxes. FICA taxes just disappear and they go away. They're not used to pay for Social Security simply because of everything we've been talking about. You eliminate the cap on Social Security taxes not because we need the money, not because Social Security is running out of money, because it doesn't make sense for a federal program to run out of money. That doesn't make sense. We eliminate the cap because it's a regressive tax. That only the, the powerless are paying that tax. The powerful are not paying that tax. We should really be eliminating that tax for everybody. That's what we should do. Because it's just, it's a, it was a trick to make people feel like they're invested. It is not actually paying for things. There's actually a quote from FDR saying it was just, you know, I did it because I, there's no way that people are going to take it away from them because they're paying into it. But they're not. So I'm not going go to go into social security, but that's a really interesting subject. Okay. Okay. So we tax the we tax the wealthy because it's moral and just and right. We reduce the military. Well, that's that doesn't really apply to taxes. We'll set that aside from now. But it's moral and just and right, not because we need the money. Okay. So if you have any comments, there's one more. There's one more reason. There's three reasons. That-
0: I think. I'm trying to see if I have any really major comments. I'm really am just sort of digesting all of this. Um,
1: yeah, I know. It's it's high speed. I know.
0: Um, but right. It, it all it actually all sort of – it does connect and does make sense. Since the, the government can, is writing its own currency, it doesn't need taxes, but it uses it just more of sort of a a moral or ethical guideline – um, which is why, when the re, mainly the Republicans are always like tax breaks for the rich, it just shows you what <laughs> they think the rich should. Uh, they trust that the rich are going to do good with their money, which is not the case.
1: The rich want to become the government,
0: right? Well, they the are. rich
1: want to eliminate the government and become the government, not just you know create the law. They actually want government to step out of the way. They want to give us health care because they want to. Profit off our healthcare, yeah. which makes our laws about healthcare inapplicable to their private companies. Yeah. They want to get public schools out of the way so they can have private schools, which are no longer susceptible to op- uh, public records laws. Right. So it's not just making money, it's actually getting rid of the government. They want it to just go away so that they become right. the law in the government. That's how I see it. So, yeah. okay. If there's anything else, nope. there's the. Okay. So, reason number three three, the last one is to drive the currency and drive the economy. And I know that's meaningless when you first hear that. Taxes drive the currency and drive the economy. And I'll totally explain that. You yeah, want to I don't, that in for I, a moment? Yeah, yeah I, don't get, I don't get that
0: at all. I don't – Yeah, okay.
1: and you shouldn't. There's no, we've never been taught it. It drives the currency. It drives the currency. It drives the economy. All right, so I'm going to do this with my last analogy, and that is – I'm a father, I have two boys, uh, they're about to be nine and twelve, and they barter and trade with each other. They, you know, my little one will sneak behind our backs and say to the older one, please do my homework, I'll make your bed for three days. My older one will go to the younger one and say, please take out the trash, I'm too busy, I'll give you 30 minutes on my iPad tomorrow. So they barter, they trade. Mm-hmm. And then I come in and I say, guess what boys, I'm going to give you allowance. And I take out my old boxes of old business cards and I give them, I tell them, I'm going to give you 10 business cards a week for your allowance, both of you. And they look at me like I'm nuts. What do they care? Like, what, why, what do I care about your business cards? And I go, well, you can buy things from each other. So instead of, you know, make my bed, I'll give you, Mm -hmm. I'll do this for you, make my bed and I'll give you two business cards. And they go, why in the world would I want to do that? And I say, you could also buy stuff from me. And mommy, you could say, you know, chores or, you know, can I pay you and I don't have to do this or can I pay you and you drive me somewhere or whatever. And I'll, like, yeah, sure. And then, then they say, well, can I go to a store and use this? I don't know. And they look at me like I'm nuts. Why in the world would they care? Why in the world would they want to do this? And they tell me, I don't want to do this. This is stupid. And then I tell them, you're going to get 10 a week, but every four weeks you have to pay me 15 in taxes. And they look at me like, what in the world are you doing? What are you talking about? And I say, I pay you 10 a week. And then at the, every fourth week, you have to pay me 15 in taxes. And they say, I'm not going to do that. And I tell them, OK, then you will be grounded for a month and you will not have any allowance. And then they tell them, fine, well, then I'm going to go to a copy shop and I'm going to make a thousand copies of them. And I'm not going to have to worry about this anymore. And I tell them, fine. And then you will be grounded for six months with no allowance. And now, they care about the money. They care about my business cards. Because I'm telling them that they have to pay taxes. And if they don't, they go to jail. And if they try and counterfeit them as a currency user, they will go to jail for even longer. And now they care about my money. And now, instead of saying, make my bed and I'll do this for you. Now instead they say, make my bed and I'll give you two business cards. And now they say, let me use my iPad and I'll give you three business cards. And now the bartering is discouraged. You can still do it, but it's discouraged because now you will be grounded for a month if you don't pay your taxes. So I have just I am now driving the economy. I am now driving the currency. And my children care about the money now because I make them care about the money. I'm not being a jerk. You know, I'm not being unreasonable. I'm not Mm. trying to keep them down, like you said at the beginning. But I am forcing them to use the currency that only I am allowed to create. Okay.
0: Right. And now they're beholden to that currency. So they can't just barter now they need to go get a job that pays them that currency
1: maybe new maybe maybe in addition to allowance maybe
0: they want to do extra chores if i do this can i get a couple extra whatever that's true versus i don't need to get a job if i'm just bartering with you
1: right but you can't go to walmart and barter so bartering is extremely discouraged with taxes yeah so okay so I'm a monopoly currency issuer. They are currency users. They care about the money. What do I care about? Do I care about the money? I care about it from the point of view of controlling the people, but what do I care about it directly? What do I use the money for myself? Like what I, So let me ask the question again. What do I care about? Because I don't, I'll tell you, I don't care about the money.
0: Well, you care about controlling. That's part of it. Yeah,
1: that's part of it, but there's more. That,
0: I don't know what else.
1: I care about my children's labor. Uh, I care about the real resources. So the federal government, the only thing that they care about is the real labor. resources, real resources. And this limited example, I, I can only say labor. That the, the analogy breaks down at that point, but. For the federal government, they care about real resources. They don't care about the money.
0: They They
1: care about time and people and things in the ground and things that grow. They care about real resources. They don't care about the money, which is another way of saying they're not limited by the money. They are only limited by real resources. So you can create infinite money. I want to emphasize you can create infinite money if you want to. But it would be foolish to do so without a consideration of your productive capacity uh, of your real resources.
0: Oh, going back to the analogy of the ponies. Exactly. Right. Right. Oh, that makes total sense. So going, yeah, so I, I don't care about the money, but I need you, like, let's say instead of two kids, I've got 10. And one kid... Uh, works my garden, brings food out of there. And the other kid uh, milks the cows and then sells that milk. And then another kid builds chairs and sells those chairs to the neighbors. And I get it. That's what I care about.
1: So I, I, exactly. So I, I, I need things to be done, so maybe I'll give them a couple extra bucks. And maybe I might spend extra into the economy to encourage more production. Maybe I might tax if they're so flush with business cards that I might, do some extra taxes for this week because something's out of control or I don't have the time to drive them somewhere or whatever it is. So it's, that's, that's the controlling inflation, right?
0: Your oldest son can now drive and you don't want to drive the other kids around. So now you pay your son to drive. I might give him yeah,
1: right, right. Okay. So that's, that's that. That's, you know, now we're, now we're putting all this together into these real mind benders and starting Mm -hmm. to come together so that's the end of that. Now we're on to a new subject. And if you want to say something, please feel free. Um,
0: no, it's, all, it's, all, it's it, it sort of all makes sense. I mean, a big part of what I do on this show is co- I always connect the dots. And that's the thing I always try to do when I cover in a story about anything is sort of connect the dots and so show the simplicity of it because the, the the tactics are – it's control and I need resources and I need money and power, which is – Makes perfect sense to why the real reason for fiat currency. Yeah. You know, if you're just out, if everyone's just out there bartering, then you don't need me. And what do I do? You know, and I need these resources taken care of and I need people to do this labor and that thing and get this, build that. And
1: yeah, and, and we are the richest country in the history of the world, not because of money, but because of the resources available. To us, because we lucked out with the land that we have. Oh yeah. Or, or, you know, we we killed we killed Native Americans and all that stuff, but we are blessed with the resources that we have. That's why we're the richest country in the history of the world. Not because we have a big pile of money.
0: Right. We we yeah. Because we absolutely we have the breadbasket of the world, and we have. I mean, if this was a desert, if this was like Afghanistan or some country like that, that was all sand and rocks, we wouldn't have all this. Right. Right.
1: Okay. All right. So, next subject. Um, make sure. Oh, so mechanics. And we, we touched on this. But um, so, how is money created specifically, technically? And we, we went through this high speed. We went through it backwards. Mm-hmm. So, Congress writes a number into a bill $10 billion for the Pony for All it, Act of 2018. $10 billion is written in there. And that's how money is born, because they wrote a number into a bill. It's passed into law. That triggers the Treasury to instruct the Federal Reserve to create a new line in a spreadsheet, literally a spreadsheet, at least that's very roughly true, Pony Act of 2018, $10 billion. And then there might be sub-ones that break it down for what specific companies need it and so on to make this law a reality. Then that money, based on what, you know, 300 million dollars goes to a breeding company in California. So it goes that portion of it goes to the state Reserve in California mm-hmm. goes to the Wells Fargo branch that this company is has an account in and then that company is now legally obligated to use that money in order to make this act become law. Mm-hmm. So all of these companies work together based on what's in this bill to implement the Pony Act. Okay, so same with Medicare for All, Right. same with anything, same with Medicare for All, maybe uh, a trillion dollars for Medicare for All, it goes into Treasury, Federal Reserve, goes to all these different companies training for the people that are going to be in the private insurance industry, we need to train them, move them somewhere else, pay them insurance, so that money is going to go to this organization, in this state reserve, in this bank branch, and so on, so it's all the same stuff. So that's how money is, you know, that's the mechanics of how money comes from Congress to the people. And now paying your taxes, what actually happens, mechanics of it now, not why, but the mechanics of it, what happens when you pay your taxes. And when you, so let's say you pay $1,000 in taxes and you pay it in cash, you send in bills. Without exaggeration, without being silly, they shred it. And they actually sell shredded bills as souvenirs. If you pay it, most commonly is paid electronically. And what you—this is not exactly true, but it's effectively true—that when you pay your taxes electronically, what you're doing is you're giving the government permission to reach into your bank account and lower your balance by a thousand bucks. So they're not doing anything with that thousand bucks; they're simply reducing your money by a thousand bucks, which is no different than taking the score off of the game at the end of the game. It just disappears. So money is born with Congress and a bill, and money dies with taxes. And a temporary death is bonds. It removes money from the economy. It comes back to life with a bond. Okay? I love this. I see the light bulbs going off. This is awesome. (laughs) If you want to say something, say something. So they keep a record— They keep a record of your taxes. They keep your tax return so they know how much you paid, but it's not like they have a bank account filled with that money anywhere or a spreadsheet filled with that money anywhere. They just have a record of what you paid in your tax return. That's all they need. That's all the record that they need. So same with Social Security. There's not a bucket of money. You don't steal from Social Security because there's nothing to steal from. Social Security benefits are created each year. So uh quickly, the Social Security Act of whatever, 1935, created the currency through perpetuity, in perpetuity. It gave, and this is not ex- exactly correct, but again, it's, it's close enough. It gave Social Security Administration the currency issuing ability for a very narrow purpose, which is to dole out benefits. So when you hear somebody say... Social Security is running out of money, we need to steal money, or you know, they're stealing money from Social Security, it makes no sense. Because the Social Security Administration pays its benefits by creating the currency each year for each person. So these trust funds that people talk about, there are no trust funds except perhaps in like a, just an accounting point of view. And that's the trick with FICA, they, they pay FICA and it goes into this trust fund. Which does nothing and is not used for anything ever, except for the, the the government accounting office and the GAO. I think that's what it's called. puts out this big estimate, and that people trust because it's nonpartisan. Of uh, you know how the effect of that bill is going to be, but the GAO was told in 1985 in some bill with Ronald some law with Ronald Reagan that they have to use the terms trust fund and debt and deficit to give the impression that it's gonna run out of money in X years, that we're, our debt is spiraling out of control and Social Security is gonna run out of money in 2032 and now it's three years earlier because the law tells them to because the Congress put it into law in 1985 to tell them to use these misconceptions to trick people, which is all an effort to privatize. And you know, right. they say, oh, it's failing. And then five years later say, see, it failed. We have to privatize it. Now we have to make money. But if you understand the economy, how it really works, there is nothing to steal from Social Security. Social Security will not default by definition because that's what the law said when it was written. And the only way it will default is if our politicians decide for it to default. Okay. So,
0: <laughs> so basically they just they've just like, oh let's create this uh, political football to kick around.
1: It's I mean any program, uh, the I don't know what it's called, the the, the healthcare thing in England. Um, you know, they have free health care, but theirs is different because they actually pay the doctors and hospitals our, well, no, they wouldn't be employees of the government. They would still have, have private hospitals and private doctor offices. The government would just do the payments. It would take over the insurance industry. Mm-hmm. In England, the doctors and hospitals are in the government. So that's different, but, okay. but they kill. But my point was is that they kill these public programs by defunding, right? And then sabotaging. And then a couple years later, pointing back and saying, see, it failed. And now they have to privatize it. That's the excuse for privatizing it. So, uh,
0: Which makes okay, perfect so me, sense.
1: Yeah, of course. So the federal debt. Um, um, Ooh. We Federal debt. We are a monopoly currency issuer. What does it mean to be in debt? If we can make the money, if China, $21 trillion, it's silly clock in Times Square. Okay, so we draw a $21 trillion bill on a piece of paper, no more debt. What's the big deal? it's It's just another trick to make the people feel like there's something bigger out there that that makes it so that we're not allowed to have stuff. So the debt there a currency issuer can't have debt. I mean, it could have like you know a number in a bank account. but if we can create,
0: I could that, just, yeah
1: right. So I can't speak too deeply on the debt, so I gotta skip over that. but generally that's true. But the deficit and surplus and balanced budget I can speak on, the deficit, according to what we're told, according to what we're taught, is irresponsible. The surplus is responsible. The balanced budget is responsible. Uh, Bill Clinton left office in 19-whatever and had a, sur- had a surplus, and it was hailed as, oh, he's so responsible. And then a recession hit. wonder why. So, deficit, surplus, balanced budget are all opposite world. They tell us a deficit is irresponsible. They tell us a surplus is responsible. They tell us a balanced budget is responsible. I'm telling you that a balanced budget amendment, which I'm sure you've heard of, talked about, a balanced budget amendment is permanent, would be, would be permanent and devastating austerity. And I want to ask you why. And again, I'll rescue you if you don't, you know. I don't know. I mean, that doesn't sound right, right? Because sure. balanced budget sounds like a good thing. Right. But the balanced budget amendment would be permanent and devastating austerity. So a balanced budget, just technically, what is a balanced budget? Not why it would be bad, but what is... A balanced what does budget it is
0: you, you were given, you allocated this amount of money for a budget and you stayed within that. You were given... Like, I, I mean, I, I do a lot of movie review stuff. So let's say it's a 10 million. You gave me $10 million to make a movie and I got the movie made and I did not need any more than the 10 million you gave me. That's a So, your,
1: so your, your income is exactly equal to your outcome. Yes. From, so from the federal government's point of view, our outcome is exactly equal to our income. So I spend $100 into the economy as a federal government. And then what do I tax in April next year? $100. I spend $100. I spend $100 into the economy, I tax $100 back. Can anyone save? Can anyone spend without dipping into their existing savings? or? And can anyone invest? No. no. They can't save. They absolutely can't save. They can't spend unless they dip into their savings or their um, investments. They can't do anything. So a balanced budget means that the government can do nothing for the people, and you actually railed against Pago, or maybe it was Jimmy Dore, railed against Pago a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. It was Jimmy. Pago is Pago is is a balanced budget. We cannot spend the money until we find the money to spend, which we now know at the federal level is utter nonsense. Pago is utter nonsense at the federal level, and unfortunately. I hear that. Well, I hear a lot of stuff all over the place with progressive media. The debt is going to kill our, you know, the deficit is going through the roof, and uh, that's that's really why I'm talking to you, which I'm going to get into soon. But I, you you guys all say all of these things. You do everything right. You do everything right, but then you frame it so wrong that perp- that perpetrates perpetuates <laughs> perpetuates all of these misconceptions and lies and guarantees we never get the things that we preach for. So so a balanced budget, I, I spend $100 into the economy, I tax $100 back. Because that's the responsible thing to do, but now that we know, is utter nonsense. Why would the government need to do that?
0: Because they, yeah, they can write their own currency.
1: It doesn't need to do that. Surplus. A surplus. Bill Clinton left with a surplus. What's a surplus? Just technically, what does a surplus mean?
0: Uh, you use the same analogy. You gave me 10 million dollars to make a movie, and I actually got it done for nine million. so I have a million extra dollars surplus that I didn't use.
1: Right? So from the federal government's point of view, I spend 100 dollars into the economy. I tax back 120. So now, people need to dip into their savings and their investments just to pay taxes. So not only can they not spend, they actually lose their value because the government is gouging them. But Bill Clinton was praised because he had a surplus for a couple years. And it's not a coincidence, and I don't know the details, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, not a coincidence that soon followed a recession because of the surplus.
0: And the reason for that
1: is why? Because we... Because we kept on taking money out of the people's pockets and we weren't doing anything for them. If we don't give, you know, the, uh, the Pony program is $10 billion, we don't tax $10 billion back. They just implemented the Pony program, and now we're going to take all that money back that they just used to implement this? That doesn't make sense. We did that because we want everyone to have a Pony, a Medicare for All. We did. We spent that money because we want Medicare for All. We didn't spend that money to make Medicare for All, and then we tax all that money back. That They don't make anything out of it. They're doing all their work for free. So the last one is deficit, last one is deficit. The deficit is I tax 100, uh, no, I spend 100 into the economy, I tax back 60, and now the people have savings of 40. So now they can save, now they can invest, now they can spend. So a deficit is a good thing for the people You might want to change it for the purposes of, you know, all the reasons for taxing, which is especially for controlling inflation, it may not be a good idea to have a deficit. But in many situations, it is a good idea to have a deficit because that puts money into the people's pockets. I see. Okay. So uh, a great example, the PROMESA board in Puerto Rico, do you know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. So the Puerto Rican government was taken over by the PROMESA board because they're not being responsible with their money. They're colonialized. And it's filled with, filled with corporate people, profit-wanting mm-hmm. people, the PROMESA board, P-R-Puerto Rico, P-R-O-M-E-S-A, PROMESA. And this PROMESA board is now the government. The government itself is not allowed to control Puerto Rico. Now the PROMESA board controls Puerto Rico because the government is not responsible for whatever reason. And the only condition – or one of the big conditions at the ProMesa board – and this I learned this in Congressional Dish by Jen Briney. Awesome podcast. She doesn't know – she's very hip on Pago, and I wrote her about NMT, and she wasn't too hip on it. But aside from that, it's an extraordinary podcast, and she did a podcast on Puerto Rico. And one of the conditions that ProMesa board gave to the Puerto Rican government was you can get control back. If, you have four, if you're responsible and you have four years of balanced budgets. So if you have four years of balanced budgets, then you are responsible and now we can give you control of your government back. So not only are we screwing the people of Puerto Rico now, but you have to sc- screw them 10 times harder for four years straight and then we'll give you control of your government, government back. So the responsible thing to do, it's all opposite world. Deficit, surplus, balanced wow. budget, it's all opposite world. Yeah, because it actually, if you think about it, it's like you only consider the, the bank account of the parents. It's like you only care about the gov- the bank account of the parents. So right. a balanced budget, yeah, that's great. A balanced budget, surplus, whatever. But two things. Number one, it makes no sense because the federal government doesn't need income. So that makes no sense to begin with, that you need to be responsible in this way so that I don't spend more than I have which makes no sense at the federal level. But it also, it neglects every one of the people, every one of the children in this analogy. Like if the, you only care about the parents, you don't care about any of the 320 million children, mm-hmm. and you don't care about the country as a whole. And it's nonsense to begin with. So, all right, so um, on to my last thing. Do you have any statements before I go into this?
0: Um, yeah, yeah. I I I am just taking it off. sorry I don't it's like it's, a, it's a, I don't know what the questions I have are <laughs>
1: I was exactly this way It's just like all of these all of these um you know amazing mind twisting concepts but none of them are connected right yet. It's like really hard to grasp but I know that this is a big deal like at, at this stage I knew that this was a big deal but I had no idea why Right So okay All right so this last thing and I'll, I'll be honest I'm not as Clear on how I want to present this, but this is where okay. I, I private messaged you on Twitter that you inspired me with one of your videos, mm-hmm. your Air Force video about your new bomber, and the, the title of the video was just less than two weeks ago. The Air Force's new bomber takes money from schools. That was the name of your video, and you can already see where I'm going. But it's but there's a big deal here. There's a big deal here. Not not just saying that's wrong and you know, do better because it's, it do the right thing. I'm saying that there's something much, much bigger here that I'm trying to tell you. Okay. So the air force's new bomber takes money from schools. Okay. And you said two things specifically. One, the money for these planes could be used for infrastructure, air, air, uh, air pollution, homelessness, and so on.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you also said, anytime some government official tells you that there's no money for this fill in the blank thing that would make your daily life better, just tell them, let's cut the war budget in half. Okay? Mm -hmm. So number one, it doesn't make economic sense, and you understand that now, or at least you're beginning to understand that. That doesn't make economic sense to say, we should be taking money from the military because we need the money for the powerless, Medicare for all and all. Right, because we can just- we should be taking-
0: There's no money to be taken, we can just write more money to pay for all of these things if we wanted to. Exactly.
1: And, and the point is not that it's economically wrong. That's not the point. I mean, yes, it's wrong and it needs to be right. But there is something really, really sinister that you are perpetuating because you have been taught to perpetuate it. And TYT perpetuates it. Jen Briney perpetuates it. Kyle Kolinsky perpetuates it. This is the thing that drives me batty because we do everything right. We preach for the right stuff We want the right stuff, we want it for the right reasons, we understand what the problem is, we understand everything. But then when we go in for the kill to actually get it, we shoot ourselves in the foot and we go all the way back to the end of the line because we hook these fights together. And what I mean by that is, yes, excessive military, endless war, immoral levels of income inequality, you should fight against them as hard as you can, as much as you do, you should. It is unjust. It is immoral. It is wrong. But you should not be fighting against them because they're expensive. So you should be fighting against them because they're immoral and wrong and unjust. You should not be fighting against them because they're expensive, okay? That's part one. Part two, you should be fighting for Medicare for all and a living wage and free college and forgiving student debt. and Fixing our poisoned water. You should be fighting for that stuff just as hard as you do. You should be just as angry as you are. But you should not be fighting for these things because they're affordable. You should be fighting for these things because they're right and moral and just. And the mistake that the progressive media and most progressives, it's not just the media, it's most progressives. Nina Turner just did this a few weeks ago in one of her emails. I was really upset (laughs) because she's one of my idols. Um, but it's not, it's not, you know, it's just what she knows. It's not, you know, sinister. Right. right. What What is horrible that we have been taught to do and that all you guys do and therefore you teach all of your viewers is that we link these fights together. We make the programs for the powerless conditional on wresting money from the rich and the powerful. So, we can't get Medicare for all until we reduce the military. We can't get Medicare for all until we tax the rich. And that pits the powerful against the powerless. And we can't get what we need to survive until we wrest it from their cold, dead hands. And that is a fight that the powerless will always lose. And so, the the most important thing, aside from remembering that phrase way back when, mm-hmm. the most important thing especially is you who reaches all these other people and TYT who reaches millions of people and Jimmy Dore who reaches hundreds of thousands of people is you should fight just as hard against the uh, society's injustices. You should fight and be just as angry and you should fight just as hard and be just as angry righteous anger about all the things that the powerless need to survive. But you have got to stop linking these fights together. Because linking these fights together, making, taking money from the rich, taking money from the military in order to pay for programs for the powerless, we should not be funding the military because we want to use that money instead for programs for the powerless. That is what's killing the progressive movement. It's killing the progressive movement. I don't find that to be an exaggeration. We preach everything we preach for. We will never ever get. Because we link these fights together and make it a prerequisite mm-hmm. to take money from the powerful. Take re- so, and when, when the economic reality we now know is completely not that.
0: Right. So the argument should just be. There's, because we create our own currency, we could just write a check for uh, $80 billion and everybody has Medicare for all. We can just give that to people. We don't need to take it from somewhere else. We don't need to balance any budgets. Separate from that, we should reduce military spending just because it's immoral and it kills people and ruins lives.
1: And same with the moral, uh, uh levels of income and inequality. Right. We should, absolutely should take, tax the rich, but not because we need their money. And that's the connection of we have to get money from the rich in order to help the powerless. And the powerless will always, and they have always for 40 years, lose that fight. Right. So that's why we, you and everybody, most progressives, but especially the media who reaches all these people, the truly progressive media, TYT, oh, it really is it's just so upsetting. My pinned tweet is a big thread about how TYT did this and does this and continues to do this. You link these fights together. We fight 95% of the of the battle valiantly and amazingly. We preach we know what's wrong, we know what should be, we know exactly what should be. And then we connect these two things together and say we should be taxing the rich or the polls say that the people want to use their taxes, want their taxes used for healthcare. We don't want them used for bombs anymore. Every bomb that's done is takes a takes a right. a, a chicken wing off of a plate of a baby. And all of that stuff links these fights together, and pits class warfare. And the powerless will always lose class warfare. What we should be doing is we should be walking onto Congress and demanding Medicare for all. And then when they say how are we going to pay for it, you say because we want to pay for it and it's moral and right and just. You know, there's a lot of education to get to that point. But we should not be saying stop this military because we need help. You know, I mean, I think you get it now. Mm -hmm. So. the the most important thing is fight the injustices fight the things we need but stop linking them together stop linking them together stop making this we have to get it from the powerful as a prerequisite
0: to getting what we need so okay that actually all makes perfect sense and um you know literally it's you show how long, it's not just four decades, it's longer than that. I mean, it's that famous speech by Eisenhower about every bomber could have been a bushel of weed or a school and all this other stuff. And it's it's a very uh, poetic speech emotionally, and it, it does show what how awful war is. And But it does make sense to me as you say this that it needs to not be connected. It needs to be a separate issue. Now that we know, or as I know, that we're creating our own currency. So there's no, there's we don't need taxes or funding or anything like that.
1: Right. And it shows, it shows, well, uh, one more qu- very quick analogy, which is this fighting 95% and then when we go in for the kill, we, we stab ourselves. And so we do everything right except the one final thing that we need to actually get these things. And it's like we're stepping on a rope as we're trying to pull it. That's how I see it. We're pulling a rope and we're stepping on it at the same time. Um, and it, what, it, what it really shows is that our politicians want us to think
0: oh, that for sure. they
1: that they believe that they that they want us to think that they that oh I wish that you could have Medicare for all I wish that you could have health care mm-hmm. I wish that you could I know how much it's important how important it is to you I know that you really want it I know that you deserve it. But unfortunately, we can't because of all this stuff, that deficit, responsible money. When the truth is, is that they're using that to hide the fact that they simply don't want to give it to us because they're paid not to. And Medicare for all, this is is a, a very important example for me. They want to profit off of us. That's definitely a big deal. They want to get, they don't want to give us Medicare for all because they want to profit off of our sickness, which is disgusting and wrong and unjust and all that. But profit is not the only thing. And in fact, in my opinion, it's the second thing, what the top thing, the most important thing to them is that, and Caitlin Johnstone taught me this, power is relative. You cannot stay powerful unless you keep the powerless powerless. In order to stay powerful. You have to actively make the powerless to keep them powerless. Mm -hmm. Medicare for all chains people to their jobs. So yes, it would be great to give them healthcare and not to make them profit off of our sickness and suffering. But what I think it's even more for is it chains us to our jobs because if we left our jobs, we would not be able to afford insurance for our family and we couldn't run for office and take over their positions. So it is their way of keeping us powerless. Profit, isn't, profit is a big deal for them. But in my mind, even more important than that, it's their way of keeping the powerless powerless and keeping the powerful powerful.
0: Well, going back to the top of what we said in the first video, they don't want millions of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's running. They don't want that. They've got to be like, what the hell? They're looking at her and they're probably looking at, at Kenneth Mejia and the who... Um, Won the primary. He's running against, you know, he was the he top two in California. He's a green. He's running against a Democrat in the thirty fourth congressional district in in California. And they're probably like, oh god, we don't want these regular people. Yeah. That have- and the guy who's
1: running against Ke- Kevin Yoder.
0: Yeah. Uh, who TYT, tyt subscriber. He he's the
1: same thing, and he's uh, polling seven points ahead of the Republicans. So the Democratic Party put in the corporatists to try and cut him off at the pass, kind of thing. Yeah. I mean it's it's very clear now that they don't want Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They would rather a Republican because even though a Republican would do horrible stuff, he wouldn't do anything that hurts the pocketbook.
0: Nope.
1: Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and me and you and Bernie Sanders would destroy their pocketbook. Yeah. So that's why they stop us. They would much rather Trump than Bernie Sanders. Oh, easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, my my goal my goal is I hope that, you know, we can work our way towards teaching Jimmy Dore. We can work our way to, to getting this into the minds of TYT and Jen Briney and stuff. You know, be skeptical and do your homework and, you know, make sure and all that stuff. But that's my goal, because the truly progressive media is killing the movement. Not because they're doing something different than anybody else, but they're just perpetuating it. And they're, they have the ears of millions and millions of people. Jimmy Dore has actually shown some signs of, of modern money. In the past couple of weeks, he said he was going to talk to Stephanie Kelton. I haven't seen that, but he's actually said stuff. Um, we make our own money, so we have to deficit spend when there's a crisis, and that's like, whoa, where did that come from? So mm. I think he's starting to show hints of it. But
0: uh, well, look, um, thank you for coming on the show, Jeff, and thank you for uh, doing this. I really appreciate it. It's I, I like having my eyes opened. I like learning. The reality of things, especially things that are just ingrained in me and for dec- my whole life, and it's been it's been entrenched in America's for well before I was born. Um, so, it's what I love about this show, and the you know for, for the Patreon level, I've, so many Patreon supporters have come on and educated me about something I didn't understand, and this is this is pretty huge. So, I encourage everybody out there watching to go do your own research. Uh, go to, uh, you know, find information from Stephanie Kelton, read that, that, watch that video, the Angry Birds one that you said. Angry
1: Birds and Deficits by Stephanie Kelton is a great starting point.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I hope these two videos have opened people's eyes up and I, I love these discussions and, um, there really isn't anything for me to debate really. I'm just like, wow, I'm just taking it all in. So, um, I appreciate, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm. I appreciate the the constructive criticism on myself and other like progressive media people because we do need to um, get our message as as informed and as concise as possible. That's what we're all about. We're all about the truth, anyway. Um, so yeah, I hope this does. Uh, I'll bring it up to Jimmy and and anyone else that I can, and I hope other people watch these videos.
1: Well, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful. I appreciate you allowing me to criticize you in that way. It obviously took a long time to really be able to you know, say it in a way that you would be able to understand because we had to undo all that stuff and all that. Um, I'm really grateful. And I would love to your viewers, you want to learn, get in touch with me, Citizens Media TV on Twitter or Facebook, Citizens Media TV at gmail.com. Um, I would love to teach you. I, this is what it's all about for me. Because if I can, we can reach the powerless and teach them in this way, especially the leaders who reach other people like you, um, that's how we're going to get stuff. That's how we'll actually get stuff.
0: I love so. it, man, because that's what I'm about. I, I, I tell everybody, everybody watching this show, you're a political vigilante. And I always tell people, uh, get involved on a local level and get involved in your local politics and school board and all that stuff and get educated. in what you're doing here, Jeff, is educating a lot of people to, ch- to shift their thinking – I think a lot of us came into this progressive side because we had to shift our thinking on the two-party system. You know that this this party's better than that party and all this other stuff where um, now we get to see, oh wait a minute. The whole system is rigged and the whole and this is another this is a huge piece of the the whole system's rigged. I mean, a huge It's just piece. as
1: profound it's just as profound as what Bernie Sanders taught us, which is Money and politics is the root of all evil. And this shows us why we don't have that stuff. Right. Modern money, modern money, MMT, modern monetary theory shows us why we don't have any of that stuff.
0: Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you to everybody who's watching. Please hit Jeff up at Citizens Media TV at all the places he just listed and ask him questions and do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Uh, But this is probably going to change a lot of things for me and how I talk about stories that I'm covering. (laughs)
1: I am really glad to hear that, and you were very patient. I know this was long, but you know, I, as I told you, I, I think it's worth it. Sweet. So I appreciate it.
0: All right, thank you, Jeff, and thank you everyone out there for making Gotham great again.